Hello and welcome to the Formula Scout podcast. Formula Scout is home to news, features, podcasts and everything else from the world of junior single-seater racing, tracking the progress of future Grand Prix stars. Now we've got a lot to talk about from the world of Formula 2 at Sochi, uh, Formula Renault Euro Cup at Zandvoort, Super Formula Okayama and six different Formula 4 categories. My name is Craig Willard and to talk about all of this is Joshua Satil, Elliot Wood and Bethany Waring. Let's go straight into Formula 2 at Sochi. Uh, not the, the most exciting circuit on the calendar, I think it's fair to say. Uh, but we had another win for Mick Schumacher uh, with, with Premier Racing, the championship leader. And this win uh, appeared to be a lot more convincing than his first at Monza. But we also had a, a maiden winner, uh, the, the 11th race winner of the season in Guanyu Zhou, who won the sprint race, uh, which was shortened after a heavy crash for Luca Giotto and Jack Aitken. So first of all, Josh, you were on duty uh, predominantly uh, this weekend, uh, covering the news stories as well as I was elsewhere, which we'll get onto later. Uh, but I think the big, biggest uh, talking point is that crash between Giotto and Aitken, um, which uh, ended up giving half points, uh, which might be critical in the final championship standings. So can you talk through the incident, uh, what caused it, uh, why it was uh, abandoned early, and how important um, the the half points could be uh, later in the year? Yeah, so Luca Giotto and Jack Aitken were battling for most of Saturday. And then on Sunday, of course, they were once again on track together, uh, battling quite hard. Um, and basically, uh, Aitken picked up a puncture and then was sort of going wheel to wheel through turn four, uh, turn three rather, the, the sweeping left-hander. Uh, and then basically, uh, Aitken sort of went wide with his puncture, went into Giotto, and the pair of them ended up in the wall. Um, we saw Giotto's car burst into flames and Aitken's car was was fully wrapped in the, the Tetco barrier. Um so yeah, really, really good to see both drivers walking away from that. A really nasty crash. Um, and as you said, Craig obviously ended the, the sprint race early um, after I think only about seven laps. Um, and yeah, just a real testament to the safety improvements um, that the Formula 2 car has made, uh, especially with this generation. Um, so yeah, that was the best thing to see them them both walking away. Um, and yeah, championship implications wise, I mean, obviously if there'd have been full points, we'd have seen Schumacher taking a bigger portion Um and extend his lead even more at the top of the driver's standings. Um, but overall, I don't think it makes too much of a difference because at the end of the day, with the the results being set back to lap five, um, you had Aitken and Giotto, despite them both ending up in the wall, actually being classified in fourth and fifth, uh, which put more cars between Schumacher and Eilat. So at the end of the day, I don't think it's influenced the championship uh, very much at all. Um, but yeah, like I said, the best thing is that both drivers were able to, to walk away fine. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. Uh, it, it seemed like Giotto and Aitken emerged from that uh, pretty much unscathed. Uh, the less said about their cars, though, the better. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the, the feature race as well, because uh, that race was won by Mick Schumacher, uh, as mentioned. But this performance seemed to be a lot stronger um, than the one that he had at Monza. Uh, he's now definitely um, asserted himself at the top of the championship. He's got a pretty healthy points gap as, as well now. Um, so how impressed were you with, with Schumacher this weekend? And do you think that he is now the, the out-and-out championship favourite? 
Yeah, the, the most complete weekend I think was seen from Mick Schumacher in, in his two years in Formula 2. Uh, really, really good from start to finish. A great qualifying performance to stick it on the second row. Uh, and then obviously won the feature race in brilliant fashion. You know, so often this year we've seen him use the best of his, you know, lightning uh, starts at the start of the race start. And that's kind of helped him from then on. Um, but I mean, really look at the feature race. I mean, he won it on pure performance uh, with a brilliant overtaking switchback move on Sonoda at uh, turn one uh, or turn two um, to take the race lead. And then even the same on Sunday again, you know, he got off the line uh, from eighth place and he was still in, in eighth place after turn one, um, but just picked his breaking spot. Uh, perfectly you know risked quite a lot really going down the inside of you know what is a very very tight corner um but came out of it i think in fourth place and then obviously improved to the, the final place on the podium um to score another podium <laughs> i think that's seven podiums in the last nine races for him um so yeah it was very very convincing very very complete not the mistakes that we've seen from him so far this season uh, none of that this weekend um so yeah absolutely i think he is the the, the championship favorite now i don't want to say it's his to lose because at the end of the day we're going to bahrain next which is obviously bit of a you know very much dominated by tires and you, you don't quite know what to expect and then of course in the final race we've got the sort of outer Bahrain loop which no one knows what to expect so you know I wouldn't say that it's his to lose but it's certainly Schumacher is the one to beat at the moment are we going to call it the Bahrain banter circuit I really want to call it that um, because it, it, it just looks absolutely nuts on paper so I'm, I'm really looking forward to it uh, I want to bring Bethany in as well because you tip Schumacher uh, to be champion this year, uh, and how smug are you, are you starting to feel at this point of the of the season? I have been smug since Spa, at least since Spa. To be honest, since the start of the season, when he almost he almost won in Red Bull uh, uh, in Austria, probably should have won in Austria, but then he screwed it up. He made a mistake, so didn't win. But yeah, I'm very smug. I don't know why you are all so surprised because he's done exactly what he did in Formula 2, which is just be consistent, be there, and then win a lot in the end. Yeah, uh, Formula 3, I think you mean. Formula uh, 3, sorry. Yep, well, he's doing first. it in Formula 2 too, so. He, he, he did it in Formula 4 as well. Um, so... He's, he's in his sixth season now uh, of car racing. Um, and you do see quite a, f- a lot of uh, comments on social media saying that, oh, he, he, you know, he's wait, you know, spent too long in the junior ranks and all that sort of stuff. But I'm like, really? You know, he, he's in his second year of uh, Formula 2 and there are drivers who have spent, who have, you know, spent a lot longer in the junior ranks who have turned out to be perfectly fine Grand Prix drivers. Uh, Surely Jake Hughes has spent more time in Formula 3 than Schumacher has spent in cars. Uh, I think it's probably close, to be honest, um, <laughs> which is uh, that's quite something when you when you think about it that way. Um, let's talk about some of the drivers who didn't have uh, particularly strong weekends. And I'll highlight uh, Christian Lundgaard, who appeared to get taken out um, at that notorious turn two uh corner in the feature race which really uh, ruined his weekend um at a corner that i think I, I personally think is probably one of the worst in in all of motor racing um and robert schwartzman who uh, was compromised in the in the feature race um and 
ended up having a pretty miserable sprint race as well. Uh, so, Josh, can you can you talk about those two in particular and whether they're effectively out of the championship fight at this point? Well, it's going to be difficult for both of them. Obviously, both still mathematically in contention, but they're going to need a real sort of, you know, big uh, bonanza in Bahrain to, to storm through and take the title. They'll need some mis- a misfortune for Schumacher because the points that he's averaging every weekend is easily going to take him to the title um, unless there's something that, that happens, um, certainly versus the likes of Lungard and, and Schwartzman. Yeah, Lungard was unlucky, as you mentioned, taking out, uh, you know, that turn two incident. I rather like the suggestion from George Russell that it should be made into a sort of Bahrain turn one, turn two um, hairpin style. I think that would probably work better. It would allow drivers to lunge a bit more into to turn two and not have this sort of big compression that we see. Uh, and obviously we saw in Formula One as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, unlucky stuff for Lungard, but generally he didn't seem to have the pace this weekend, unfortunately. It was a similar story for Schwartzman as well. Uh, he was held up in the pits because basically uh, when Schumacher was going for his pit stop at the end of lap eight, uh, he felt his rear tyres fading away at the in the final sector, and then he basically darted in at last minute into the pit lane to follow the the then race leader Yuki Tsunoda in, uh, and this obviously caught off the the Prima mechanics by surprise. And then, of course, we saw the team boss Rene Rosin uh, frantically gesticulating to his mechanics. You know, look, it's not going to be Schwartzman coming in; it's going to be Schumacher and Schwartzman uh, this lap. Obviously, that led to a, a ten thousand euro fine for uh, Rene Rosin and, and Prima. Um, but no sort of sporting penalty, much to the frustration of at least four of the Formula One teams, uh, Formula Two teams rather, uh, who were obviously quite angry with that one. Uh, and obviously another unrelated thing as well for Schumacher was his DRS crank, which was um, apparently not exactly the one that should have been on the car. Uh, he basically, after his crash in Monza, they fitted a new DRS crank. This DRS crank thing is to fix uh, a problem with the DRS that occurred in Bahrain back in 2019. And then it was brought in from Baku uh, and then, as I said, was was changed in Monza and wasn't quite changed right. Um, but apparently no sort of sporting advantage there. And I think that's fair enough in terms of when he was deploying DRS, he, he didn't exactly uh, need it. But yeah, so many investigations and such a long stewards document, probably one of the most confusing ever. Um, but yeah, in terms of what happened for Schwartzman, he was obviously held up by this, um, but generally didn't really have the pace. I mean, his weekend would have probably turned out different if he could have got to that reverse grid pole, especially considering what happened on Sunday. But at the end of the day, uh, zero points for both Lungard and Schwartzman. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, uh, we've already touched on, on Bahrain. That's a, a very, very long way away now. Uh, 60 days uh, from the day that we record on this uh, on this Monday, uh, between now and uh, the, the first uh, track action in Bahrain. So we need to think of a lot of uh, features and and content to, to bring you all uh, in that meantime so between now and then keep an eye out on formulascout.com because i'm sure we will come up with plenty uh, let's move on to goings on in japan and in super formula because there was a maiden victory um in in that race over at okayama uh and there were uh shared victories in super formula lights as well between two drivers who were on double duty uh, Elliot, can you can you sort of explain what happened there, including the the weird incident at the start of the the Super Formula race? Yeah, so uh, Super Formula Lights front runners Rotomo Miata and Senna Sakaguchi were called up to race in Super Formula because uh, several of Toyota's Le Mans twenty four hour drivers had to serve quarantine in Japan before they were allowed to race. So. Uh, this is the first time Miata had been given this opportunity and the second time Sakaguchi has actually been called up 
Uh, the first time Sakaguchi was called up, the race in question was cancelled by bad weather. And this time, um, on the formation lap, he was warming up his tyres and he actually just... And it delayed the start by approximately 25 minutes, uh, which kind of built up the nerves of Miata because this was his first you know, appearance in the car as well. He made an awful start. That led to Toshiki Ayu of Nakajima Racing uh, kind of diving down the inside of several drivers. A big kind of incident at the, the first corner, which led to the drivers who had started eighth and ninth suddenly coming up second and third, uh, which was our first time winner, Shosu Boy. And after kind of playing the overcut strategy, because they introduced, reintroduced pit stops for this race, he overtook his teammate, then waited until reigning champion Nick Cassidy who uh, is heading to Formula Marine next season. And I think I've mentioned before, he's probably a little bit distracted. Uh, but he basically had the best car on the grid and he pitted with two laps to go, allowed the two in-in cars of Sho Suboy and Hiroaki Ishiura ahead. And Suboy took his first win. Now, why he had qualified in eighth? It was because he crashed in Q3. So um, he was pretty embarrassed in the morning, but later in the day, he got to redeem himself. And all around, it was a good day for young drivers in Japan. Yeah, definitely. Uh, there's more that we'll we'll touch on later. But what do you think uh, of, of Suboy, and how do you think he will build on uh, on this win? Uh, do you think that he's going to thrust himself into championship contention with this? Yeah, uh, this year they're running drop scores for Super Formula because of how many drivers are missing races. So of the seven race season, he only needs five top results. And he already retired in the season opener, so that's one of his drop scores. Realistically, he could, because he's already second in the points. Add to that, I think last year he took a podium at Fuji, so he certainly got pace at other circuits, and Fuji holds the season finale this year. So he's going to be have even more experience to build on by the time he reaches that circuit. Of the other like title contenders you would expect, who are you know the older drivers, they've generally underperformed this year. And it's Rio Hirakawa and... Shosu Boy and the Kondo Racing drivers, who are also one of them was absent, to be fighting out in the title. It'll be very interesting to see what happens next because we roughly have like a month between each of the races. So potentially it'll cool change. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, let's move on to where you were in person this weekend as well uh, with Euro Formula uh, at Monza. Uh, and there were three absolutely mega uh, slipstream fests uh, in that race. And it really gave the the new car a bit of a, a an interesting sort of test when it came to, to actually actual wheel to wheel racing for a change um and the the new calendar for 2021 has been revealed as well so can you can you talk about that for a bit yeah so uh Delara 320 has been a, a pretty boring addition to euroform now i have to admit for the first six races this year we've barely seen any overtaking and China's FEA has dominated pretty much every race. Uh, but at Monza, you can always expect either madness or overtaking. And we've got a bit of both. Um, in qualifying, we had the madness where, as we've seen in F1, F2 and FIA, F3, over the last two years, drivers kind of bottle up trying to get a slipstream and just cause dangerous scenarios for no clear reason. Um, and we also saw FEA swiping across Manuel Maldonado uh, related to F1 winner Pasta. And he actually got a penalty because he pretty much tried to crash Maldonado off on the pit straight, uh, which wasn't nice to see. But then in the races, yay, 
one from the front in the first one without ever being overtaken, despite it being a slipstream classic, like you said. Somehow he just stayed ahead. And in race two, we had the similar thing where the lead pack of cars were constantly changing positions besides the leader, Lucas Danner, and he kind of drove away from the field. And in the final race, it was fairly similar. We had a lead pack of five cars, which you, know, you don't see. In, maybe in Formula 4, you kind of see that as well. Uh, constantly swapping position, constantly fighting for the lead. Lucas Dunham was leading the way again, and he took his second win, well, his third win in five races he's contested this year. So he's kind of thrust himself into title contention by doing that. Obviously, Yiffie is miles ahead, but it kind of finally proved that Delara 320 was a, you know, a good replacement to the F317 because prior to that, not many people had been, let's say, particularly entertained by Europe. Mm. Yeah, so I, I think part of the problem would, it, would you know, other circuits that, that Euroformula have decided to, well, manage to to go to um, earlier in the season. Obviously, the Hungaro ring is not an easy circuit to overtake on um, and some of the other circuits as well. But uh, Monza, in almost any car, really, um, is a, it does have the, the possibility of providing these, these epic slipstream fests uh, in junior single-seater racing. Uh, let's move on to Formula Renault Euro Cup, which was in action yet again. And uh, Josh, uh, it was another, you know, Victor Martin and uh, Chayo Collette um, show, uh, effectively, weren't it? <laughs> weren't it? So you know, it's still just absolutely nipping up between the pair of them. Yeah, definitely. It's very much a, a, the definition of a two-horse race, right? Uh, I mean, look at the second race. I think it was uh, something like 18 seconds back to third place, uh, Franco Colapinto. Um, so yeah, very much it's all about Martin and, and Colette, the, the former Renault Junior versus the, the current Renault Junior. Uh, a really exciting battle. I mean, both these guys are clearly ready for, for FIA Formula 3. Um, hopefully we'll see them both there uh, next year. But I mean, for now, we're seeing a really, really good title fight between them. They seem to have found an extra edge over the rest of the field. It seems very much it's kind of them two. And then you've got David Vidalas, of course, as well, sort of uh, right on the bubble. He obviously hasn't won yet since he, he took that brilliant double win on debut in Imola. Um, but he's been there and thereabouts, you know, ever since. Uh, Colapinto got back to form. He's had a difficult run of races, but back onto the podium uh, in the second race. Uh, very impressed as well by Paul Aron uh, in the second race. Managed to overtake Martins at the start. Dropped back to third. And Ben had a mechanical issue, which uh, took him completely out of the race. Um, but, I mean, he looked pretty quick as, as well, especially uh, amongst the rookies. But, yeah, very much in this field is looking at a very, very clear sort of top two, top three. Uh, and then the rest all sort of fighting in between. Um, you know, Zandvoort itself, this was, I think, one of the first sort of races since it's all been um, redone for Formula One uh, in terms of junior single-seaters. And, you know, it was pretty good. I mean, it's pretty exciting in terms of the, the first lap and especially on the sort of... Uh, banked corner especially but then thereafter there isn't really too much overtaking so i think that's probably similar to what we can expect in formula one but certainly one of the most exciting opening laps of the year uh watching the cars go through that uh that bank corner mm -hmm. yes certainly I, I think having the the, the re lion dyke blocked uh so highly banked is is very apt for the the, the legend that is is named after uh, let's quickly touch on Formula Regional Americas. That was back in action uh, at the very bumpy Sebring. Uh, it was a double win for, this time for Linus Lundqvist, as is beaten for the first time in 2020. Uh, this time it was by David Malukas, um, who sits second in the championship. Um, 
So it's still very much uh, Lundqvist's uh, championship to, well, he's pretty much won it at this point, providing he <laughs> he, he doesn't have a, any sort of Stefano Coletti style uh, catastrophe in the, in the second half of the year. Uh, let's move on to the world of Formula 4, um, because there, there were plenty of... Uh, of uh, Formula 4 championships in action this weekend and the start of British Formula 4. Uh, Bethany, this is where you come in. Uh, we had three different race winners this weekend at Silverstone, but there was definitely a bit of confusion um, after uh, uh, quite a few penalties were handed out in the second race. So explain what happened uh, this weekend at Silverstone. Um, yeah, well, if you watch, if you watch the first race of the weekend and then didn't watch anything else and didn't look on Twitter, then you'd have thought, oh, look, Luke Browning's winning again, shot. Um, However, um, Luke, for the first time this season, actually, um, didn't finish on the podium according to the results. He did get a penalty for exceeding track limits. It's my it's my favourite penalty. He got a penalty for exceeding track limits. He won the second race of the weekend on track, which is the it's his first reverse grid race that he started on pole. Why I remember that I don't know, but it was, and led from start to finish, and was then handed a five second penalty for exceeding track limits. I do believe he had been defending quite hard against Zacho Sullivan. Which kind of explains why he was, why he had to, why he exceeded track limits. So that's, that was really the main story of the weekend there that um, Browning got penalty for the first time this, for the first time this season, he wasn't on the podium at all this weekend. Alex Connor finally got a race win in race one. He won the opening race and then has kind of struggled with the, a lot of unfortunate events, but got back onto the top step with a lot of flag victory in race one. O'Sullivan picked up the win in race two, which uh, obviously, um, obviously it was the right decision because Browning exceeded track limits, and so that's a hard don't do that. But O'Sullivan also deserved the win. He fought really well. It wasn't as if he kind of hung back and then won it. So good for good for O'Sullivan. And Casper Stevenson in two years in car racing has finally took his first car racing victory. Um he came second he's already come second five times this season. He's come third five times this season and he finally won the the third race of the weekend. It looked as if Connor might take it from him, but he got that victory um, in race three and I'm really happy for Casper because he's one of the nicest lads and I was sure he wouldn't in Ginetta Juniors last year but he didn't and it must have been because I saw him on the podium so much like he'd been in F4 but no never got the victory and now he has so that kind of reignited his championship fight and uh, Browning's still 30 odd points ahead but we've still got three rounds to go so anything can happen Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, whilst you're here, do you want to talk about French F4 a little bit? Because there were two wins for Ayumu Iwasa um, to take the championship lead from Rensato. And there was a first-time winner um, in Romain Leroux uh, for, for good measure. Yeah, I think it was an unfortunate weekend for Sato. He should have won 
you should have won this weekend, but couldn't quite get and make it happen. I was, uh, it's really a two horse race between those two, and I'm sure Sato will come back um, in, in oh, where are they? Is that in, yeah, it is, it, I'm sure he'll come back in Paul Rickard and, and they'll swap the championship hands around. I, I want to um, just um, reiterate what Josh said and that Zanfor, I, I don't watch single seaters in America because it makes me nervous. But so I've, that banking was incredible. And we did have some really good overtakes in French Formula 4, which wasn't in France, obviously. So um, maybe there won't be any um, overtakes in F1, but it certainly is possible to overtake in, at Zanfor. Just maybe not in our highest spec cars. Mm, yeah, uh, I, I bet it must have been pretty, pretty exciting to watch. Um, Elliot, uh, let's talk about Danish Formula Four a little bit because it was a, a double win for Sebastian Ogard, uh, Mads Ho uh, in the Formula Five car took a took an overall win as well. But it was a pretty challenging weekend for for Juju Noda. Yeah, Juju Noda, as usual, was the quickest on one lap pace. Uh, took pole for the third time in a row but she made quite a few errors and I think yeah two of them pretty much involved collisions with other drivers and her best result across the weekend was in seventh place which means she's now dropped to sixth in the points behind Ho who is obviously driving a Formula 5 car and only just ahead of Lucas Algard who's the next Formula 5 runner uh, I think that the greatest beneficiary of her errors this weekend was Sebastian Ogard, who missed uh, the middle round of the three we've had so far because he races an Italian F4. I think he still does a bit karting as well. Uh, and he's up to third in the points because he won two of the three races. And his third win um, was cut, the race was cut short because of Noda's crash, William Wolf. And uh, that meant, you know, he didn't have to hold off the pressure from the cars behind because it was basically full course yellow or safety car. Match the race. Having said that, it was Ring Jersland, which is like the narrowest, twistiest circuit around. It's, it's basically just four hairpins. And it's only wide enough, really, for two Formula 5 cars. Uh, so any overtaking is pretty difficult. And I think Noda was frustrated that when she was starting further back, she couldn't make those overtakes. And she'd end up losing time or crashing. And overall, when you know she's the most highly anticipated single-seater debutante in a long time uh it's not a good look mm-hmm. uh let's quickly cover off uh the other formula four categories that were in action this weekend uh spanish formula four was in action at valencia uh it's a triple victory for cas havercourt uh to really assert himself in, in the championship standings there and in usf4 at sebring it was another uh triple victory this one was for hunter yaney um Let's move on to uh, cars without slicks or wings. Uh, National FF 1600 uh, was in action at Brands Hatch, and I was there. Um, it was very, very cold, uh, as you would expect for, for Brands Hatch in September. Um, and the, the racing there was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, two wins for, for Neil McLennan. Uh, Chris Middlehurst got his first uh, Formula Ford win in a very long time. And what this does is it sets up a, a five-way title fight going into the final round at Silverstone, but also for an absolutely fantastic Formula Ford Festival 
um, which will be at the end of next month. Um, there were six cars fighting for the race win in, in all three of the races, basically. Um, and you can't really ask for, for much more than that. Um, it was my first time being back at a track as well, since uh, obviously the the goings on around the world. So it was quite nice to, to be back, even if it was rather cold. Um, I was very impressed with the the measures that um, MSV and Brands Hatch have in place uh, to make sure that everyone feels safe and, and uh, welcome as well. Um, largely, uh, pretty much, I thought it was really, really good. Uh, people kept the distance, although as it's not that difficult to do that at a, a club event, essentially. I don't know what it was like at, at Sochi for the Formula One this weekend, but at, at Cold Brands Hatch, it's definitely possible to do that. Um, and you know, you got all of the your signs and and everything like that around the the circuit as well. So I, I certainly felt a lot safer being at a racetrack than what I have done uh, just going around my my daily life in London at the moment. So uh, it it's definitely good to have um, motorsport back uh in in our lives if you will um and, and able to go to to race tracks and to enjoy motor racing um so hopefully i can go to a few more race tracks this year i know that um bethany and elliot have uh, got more track well got tracks uh, to go to uh, for the remainder of this this year josh um has not been to one this year so far um but hopefully you can get to get to one or two as well um, let's talk about what's going on on the website because Elliot, you uh, published a feature um, literally pretty much just before we went recording on Paraguay of all places. Yeah, so it's probably the only South American nation without a, a circuit racing history. It doesn't have any circuits, quite simply. And uh, But they do have a race winner, Joshua Dirksen, who is competing in ADAC Formula at the moment an Italian F4 as well and I chatted to him about two weeks ago at the Red Bull rink when he was winning an Italian F4 and asked him you know how do you go from Paraguay with no circuits and only one casting circuit to having the skills to be at the front in Formula 4 and you know like who do you talk to in your home country to even get involved in motorsport so it was a, an interesting chat with him and turns out he has actually met the Paraguayan president in his kind of search for more knowledge and more sponsorship etc uh, which is very interesting and I think Josh was going to describe ADAC F4 this weekend but I think he may have dropped out of our broadcast. Uh, ADAC F4 returned to the Nürburgring and it was very very wet it was the Nürburgring 24 hour weekends it was almost like it was contracted to be that wet and we had Johnny Edgar points leader winning one race Jack Crawford finally taking his first win his fellow Rebel Junior in race one and Vlad Lomko winning in probably the wettest of the three races uh, literally could not see a thing and he won that one uh, and they were using the full Grand Prix loop whereas the previous time they visited the Nürburgring this year they used the sprint loop uh, which is kind of a shortened version of the short version of the Nürburgring um, but yeah there, there's kind of three rounds of that now and four rounds left of Italy and we're kind of seeing the title contenders in each and depending on who's out of title contention, they may prioritise the clashing round between those two series. Mm, yeah, definitely. It's always 
uh, difficult to to judge. Uh, well, it's, I say difficult to judge. It is interesting to have the the, the Italian and German F fours uh, intertwining, if you will. Um, it, it does give a, a good indication of who's performing well across multiple categories. Um, there's also a scout report on Ollie Behrman on the website, um, and hopefully we've got many, many more features on the way. I don't know if you've got anything uh, lined up, Elliot, another uh, one of your top tens or, or retro features uh, at all, but uh, I'm sure that we'll come up with plenty in the coming weeks. Now, this weekend, we've got plenty more action to to cover. Um, we haven't got Formula 2 for a while, and we haven't got... Um, several of the other categories, but we have got Formula Regional, Euro Formula and Italian F4 all from Mugello uh, this weekend. Uh, we've got British Formula 3 at Snetterton, uh, Formula Regional Americas and USF4 will be at the homes of Miami Roval. Uh, French F4 will be from Paul Ricard and Japanese Formula 4 will be back in action this time from Fuji. And starting next week, uh, FIA Formula 3 is back in action with a post-season test at Circuit de Barcelona, Catalonia. Now, I believe that is all from us this weekend. So we will be back next week with another Formula Scout podcast. Adios. Bye.